I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. We're going to jump ahead to verses 13 through 34. Next week I'll go back to those previous verses and we'll pick up the study there. But Luke 12, God's Word says to us, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. There I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Well, in the passage before us today, Jesus warns us against covetousness. And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Well, what is covetousness? The word in Greek is a compound word, which means it's, it's two words that are smashed together. Those two words are having and more. So there's, there's actually three meanings to this word, and they progress. There's having more, receiving more, and then wanting more, which is the sense of it here. The word can be translated greed or avarice as well as covetousness. Well, John D. Rockefeller was at one point the world's richest man, and he was the first ever American billionaire. 
And when a reporter asked him, how much money is enough? He responded, just a little bit more. That is covetousness. Oil tycoon J. Paul Getty was asked in an interview, if you retired now, would you say that your holdings would be worth a billion dollars? Getty thought about it and replied, I suppose so. But remember, a billion dollars doesn't go as far as it used to. Well, those are examples of covetousness and greed to which no one here listening, no one hearing this can probably relate to. I doubt any billionaires are listening. But you don't have to be a wealthy person to be covetous. You can be as poor as dirt and be eaten up with it. We are all susceptible to being controlled by an unquenchable desire for more. We live in a culture that is materialistic. Turn on the TV and you're constantly bombarded with messages of, of things you need that you don't really need. Materialism, it's a tendency to consider material possessions and physical comfort as more important than spiritual values. That's what we do. Look around us during this pandemic. This is bringing out the worst in some people. Covetousness is on full display. I saw a picture of a, a, prote a protester uh, in Tennessee with a sign that read, Sacrifice the weak, reopen Tennessee. Now I understand people need to get back to work to provide for their families. I can feel that pain. But sacrifice the weak? That's a bit much. Not only do we see people coveting things, hoarding goods like toilet paper, etc., using their stimulus checks on creature comforts like big televisions, but we also see people coveting power. Many in positions of power are grabbing more power and abusing that power, and one wonders if they are going to be willing to give it up to relinquish that power that they have gained in these vulnerable times. It can also just be the thought, and this is probably where it hit home, hits home to most of us, can also be that thought that if I just had more money, my life would be great. If, if I got that promotion, then everything would be okay. Or, or if I had that car, then I would feel good about myself and, and people would admire me. So the warning Jesus gives is for you and me and, and everyone. We are all susceptible to covetousness and greed, though few people recognize it in themselves. That's why Jesus says, take care, be on your guard against covetousness. It's something that we need to watch out for because we are always susceptible to it. But Jesus just doesn't warn us here. He also, in this section, gives us wonderful comforts and, and promises that are certainly a word in season to us in these difficult times. Well, we have several uh, negative examples given to us in this passage. We have the, the man in the crowd who speaks up. We have the, the parable of the, the man who uh, uh, accumulates lots of, 
of grain in his barns. And then we have those people who are anxious, the nations of the world, Jesus says. People who have misplaced their treasures. Well, the first one is this man in the crowd who uh, cries out in the middle of Jesus' teaching, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus, of course, refuses. I don't want to be an, a judge or an arbitrator over this, this, uh, this problem you're having. Well, you know, perhaps the, the previous verse Jesus is, has mentioned appearing before magistrates. And perhaps this man is thinking about, of course, listening to what Jesus is saying, but, you know, the, thinking about appearing before a court, appearing before the, the lawyers and and uh, this case that he's going through, and you see where his true treasure lies, what's really, what's really important to him. You'll notice the very last verse that we read there, verse 34, it says, Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where was this man's treasure? Where was this man's heart? He was sitting there listening to the wonderful words of Jesus. Jesus teaching and preaching to the crowds. Many people crowded around. And what's on his mind? Money. That's what he's worried about. That's where his treasure is. And he wants Jesus, he wants to use Jesus to help him get that money. A lot of people fall into that trap in these days. They think that following Jesus is a pathway to success, to to wealth. Some people preach that. But that shows that the treasure is not actually Christ. It's actually wanting the wealth. That's what people are after. Some people are after. You're just using Jesus. And that's what this man was doing. You could see where his treasure was by what he asked Jesus. What do you want from Jesus? That's a good question to ask yourself. So that man, we don't know any more about him than, than that, that he asked that question, which becomes a springboard for this teaching. But Jesus also tells us about this man in the parable. Uh, he, he is a, a man who becomes wealthy. Uh, he, he was blessed beyond measure. And there's nothing wrong with getting material blessings. But he didn't recognize God as the giver. He wasn't showing any kind of gratitude or thanksgiving for what he had received. No, he only had worries. You know, what am I going to do with all this? He was trying to hang on to it and figure out how he can accumulate more. Well, in North Africa, the natives have a very easy way to capture monkeys. A, a gourd with a hole just sufficiently large so that a monkey can thrust his hand into it is filled with nuts and, fastly, and, fir, and, and fastened firmly to a branch of a tree at sunset. And during the night, the monkey will get the, sense of, of food, the scent of food and its source, and he will put his hand in that gourd and grasp that nut, and he will try to withdraw his hand in his clenched fists and... Of course, the hole's not big enough for him to get his clenched fist out of. But he's unwilling to let go of the nut. And so the people come and take the monkey. And that's what this man is doing. He's grasping. He's grasping these material possessions. And he doesn't want to let them go. He's greedily holding on to it. 
And he has a plan. He comes to the wrong answer. It's all selfish and self-centered. Look at verse 17. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns. And, and I will store all my grain and my goods in them. I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. You see, he's completely self-centered. He's just thinking about himself and what he has. And his vision of the future is faulty. He finds a sense of security in an insecure place. He thinks he's set for life. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. Well, how many people are chasing that pipe dream today? If I can just get this, then I'll be set for life. I won't have any more problems. If I just had enough money, then I would be happy. Well, studies time and time have proven that money doesn't bring happiness. They've done surveys of people on the Fortune 500 list, and then they've gone and done the same survey with tribesmen in Africa and in Greenland and places where they don't have running water or electricity, and their, their measure of happiness is exactly the same, no different. Money can't buy you happiness. It can't buy you love. It can't buy you all the things that your soul really needs. But this guy's saying, hey, to his soul, hey, you've got everything you need here. He's a fool, Jesus says. He's not thinking very clearly. He's got no plan for eternity. He just has a plan for the here and now, not for the afterlife. And that makes him a fool. So that's a bad example, one that we can learn from. And then Jesus goes on and says, talks to people who are anxious, or says, don't be anxious, don't be like those anxious and the nations of the world. Verse 22, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. Verse 25, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? Worry doesn't make you live longer, probably makes you live a shorter amount of time through the stress of it all. And then, and then there's, there's this statement. He says, Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things. So see, the, this is a very typical problem, to be anxious about food, about clothing, about the basic things of life. And that's a misplaced treasure. Just like the man in the crowd that asked Jesus the question about his inheritance. Just like the man in the parable who put all of his treasure in barns. The people who are anxious are putting their treasure, setting their heart on something in this world that, will, that they're looking to to give them security or satisfaction. And they're not going to find it. It, it doesn't add to their life. It only takes away. But look at what the, Jesus says is correctly placed treasure. He, instead of what the man did in the parable who spoke to his soul and was very self-satisfied with what he said there, he, he suggests to us the right kind of soul talk. 
he tells us to consider the ravens, consider the lilies and the grass, consider how God is taking care of them. They don't work, they don't sew or to make clothes or any of these things, but they're more beautiful than Solomon. We have taken the time during this, like many people, uh, during this quarantine to work on our backyard and plant some flowers. And it's been fun to see those flowers bloom. Uh, Just uh, yesterday I noticed that one of our lilies has opened up and it's beautiful. And and you can admire that and, and see that, man, it's really an amazing thing that God has given us. See, God provides these flowers with beauty. He provides the birds with what they need. Uh, you know, he says a few verses before this, he's about sparrows. You can buy five sparrows for, for two pennies. And if one falls to the ground, God's aware of it. See, but what we need to consider in our souls is that if God does this for flowers and birds and, and sparrows who aren't worth a whole lot, in fact, Matthew's account says you can buy two sparrows for one penny. So apparently in those days, if you bought two pennies worth of sparrows, they would throw in an extra one for free. That's how little they were worth. And the whole point is that you, God's people, are much more valuable than ravens or sparrows or lilies or the grass. God provides for his people on this earth. And even greater than that, God provides for his people a kingdom. Look at verse 31. Instead, he says, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Isn't that wonderful? It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I find that such a delightful, comforting verse that God delights to give you not only what you need in this life, but a kingdom as well. A kingdom that, as it says here in the verses, that does not fail. No thief approaches and no moth destroys. It is imperishable, eternal. And this freedom that you have by putting your trust in the Lord and setting your heart on His kingdom and what He's providing for you in the future gives you freedom to love and to serve in the now. Look, he says in verse 33, Sell your possessions and give to the needy. If you're not like the monkey grasping your, the things that God has provided for you, if you realize that, hey, God's going to provide just what I need, and there's something far greater and totally fulfilling in the future, then I can let go of some of these things in the here and now to show love and concern for others. He says, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Let's ask ourselves a few questions today considering these things. What are, your, what are you saying to your soul today? 
what's the, the speech that you're, that's going on inside your head and your heart when you're faced with uncertainty, insecurity, the difficulties of these days in which we live? Is it a panicked talk? Are you speaking to yourself about, hey, I'm good because I've still got my job. I'm good because I've got a stimulus check. Or I'm good because of any earthly thing. Well, that's the wrong kind of soul talk. That sounds a whole lot like the man in the parable. Or is your soul talk more centered on the Lord and His provision for you? What kind of soul talk do you have? Where is your treasure? Where is your treasure? What do you value the most in life? Is it the things that you're accumulating? Is it bank accounts? Is it, is it material possessions? Are these the things that you're chasing after and looking to, to own and, and accumulate? Where is your treasure? Or are you setting your hope in the kingdom of, of the Lord that will be revealed in the last day? in the new heavens and new earth, where the meek will inherit the earth, the new heavens and the new earth. If our treasure is there, if that's where we're setting our hope, then we can live in the here and now, trusting, anxious free, that God will provide for his people as he has promised. And he's got something even greater in store for us in the future. That's something important to remember in the here and now. We're not just saying live you know, to being so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good, that's not what we're saying at all. We're not just staring up into the air waiting for the Lord to return like the disciples did when Jesus ascended. No, we're, we're able to be free to do what God has called us to do in these days because we're not consumed with trying to accumulate things and money and power. Where's our treasure? Are we looking to that e eternal kingdom? You know, the man at the beginning asked a, a question about his inheritance, and it's kind of the question that we should be asking ourselves. He was asking for Jesus' help in gaining a monetary or property inheritance. And Jesus refused to interpose in the matter. But if we come to Christ and ask him to help us gain a heavenly inheritance, he can be depended on to give the greatest help. As we read in our assurance of pardon, he invites us to come to him if we're thirsty. Come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? All these things that we pursue in our lives, these material possessions, accumulating goods, these things are not going to be satisfying to us. That's not why we were created. Listen diligently to me, the Lord says, and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. What kind of covenant did God make with David? A promise that his, 
his line, his house would go on forever, that someone in his line would, would reign over the, his kingdom forever. We're invited to take part in that kingdom, to have an inheritance in that kingdom, not to worry about setting up a kingdom on this earth with our own possessions and our own power. That just causes anxiety. That's a foolish endeavor. But when we invest, when we put our treasure, when we're rich towards God, we're building for an eternity that, that can never pass away. May God give us grace to call upon Him and to come to Him without money and without cost to get the free inheritance that He offers in Jesus Christ. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank You for Your great care for us as Your people. And we thank you, Jesus, for the sacrifice that you made to purchase us so that we can be joint heirs with you in your kingdom. And Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit would apply these words to our lives today. Draw us away from the materialism of our age and help us, Lord, to invest in your kingdom. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.